Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Press. I also am really glad you're here. My name is Eric Hansen, and I am one of the pastors here. And today's kind of a big day for a couple reasons. One of those reasons is we have been um, looking forward to celebrating Pentecost with you. We're not really a church that splashes a bunch of the things about this annual calendar that the church around the world celebrates. Um, But today is the annual moment, 50 days after the resurrection, when we celebrate um, the gift and the granting of the Holy Spirit. It comes down in tongues of fire to rest upon his people, to give them powers they would not have otherwise, to strengthen them for the journey, and to equip them for what the Lord has in store for them. It'll come up a couple times today, even as we read uh, today's text Um, But then also, we've been seeking to um, finish this Bible reading plan. Six months. I started in January. We started in January um, seeking to read the whole New Testament together between the beginning of the second semester of school and today um, on Pentecost Sunday. I'm just curious, how many of you read more of the New Testament in the last six months than you have the two years previous? Raise your hand. Yeah, look at that. Friends, that right there, that's the point. Yeah, come on. Come on, yeah. See, as we started this thing in January, what I wanted to say to all of you is this is really about learning a a process, not about getting sort of a product of something that's just completed and finished. What we wanted to do was introduce this new or maybe sort of refresh a habit that we— helps us understand and seek out the Lord and the way He has chosen to be known. He's chosen to be known through the written word of the Scriptures. And whether you did it just two times or you did it every day, it is so good to allow ourselves to be fed and nourished by understanding who God is, who He invites us to be, how He invites us into a a new form of obedience and courage and strength. Not that it's just ours, but that it's given to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, well done. And we're going to keep going. And I'm going to move this, or I'm going to trip over it before the end of the day here. Um, I want to point out to you one more time, you heard it, we, um, we want you to keep going. And so we've made a sort of a little list just to read the first two books of the Old Testament, the first two books of the Bible. And this gets us all the way almost to when we have um, worship at the Res and do some baptisms in August. So this is a Genesis and Exodus thoughtfully laid out for you. We'd love you to grab, invite you to grab this and start reading the, uh, the Old Testament with us. Um, for the rest of the summer. We, however, as a people, are going to keep working our way through the book of Revelation. Though the Bible reading plan is over, we just finished with Revelation today, we are going to keep on sort of picking our way through it all the way until the end of July. And if you've been reading along over this last week, if you thought, I'm gonna, at least I'm going to finish strong, well done. Um, then you know some of the most complex and confusing passages of the book of Revelation are actually still in front of us. We have a lot more to go. 
And before we do that, before we get to Revelation chapter 12 today, we're just a little bit over halfway through the book of Revelation, I'm going to give you a very, very quick down and dirty summary of the first 11 chapters, okay? The very first chapter, what we learn is this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And that word of is important because it means that, first of all, it is a revelation that Jesus Christ wants to give. It comes from the word of Jesus Christ, but it's also about Jesus Christ. And as we see ourselves reading this passage, these passages, one of the things I said to you if, you, if you ever get lost and you're not sure what an image means, at the very least, if you go back to the first chapter of Revelation, you will be reminded and refreshed that what matters most, more than anything else, is that this is about Jesus, not about an order of events or a timeline or some sort of, a, a, you know, biblical newspaper. It's not what this is. But then right after that, um, we get these letters to these seven churches about what's happening in the churches. And the number seven is significant because it represents wholeness and completeness. So what that means is, is these letters are not just to those individual churches, but they're to the church of all time. And at the end of those letters, we're, um, we're, we're caught up into heaven with John, where he sees heavenly worship. He's, he's granted access into the throne room. And what he sees are, are heavenly beings and, and creatures and elders and everything circled around the throne. There's this incredible, beautiful, sort of sparkling imagery we can barely get our minds wrapped around. And as we get into chapter 5, what we see um, is what's actually at the center of the throne, what is right in the middle of all that is, is not just sort of this barely discernible um, thing that's worthy of all our worship. It is also a slain lamb. That the one who um, died for us is worthy of all worship at the very center. And this slain lamb is holding a, a scroll. And what we then see, that scroll is, is uh, sealed with seven sort of wax seals is the image. And then those seven seals are, sort of, uh, are opened up and we see... Um, both trial and tribulation and joy and, and victory in those seven seals. And those seven seals then go straight into seven trumpets that are sounded. Last week we ended with those seven trumpets. We, we ended at uh, chapter 11, and it almost feels like it could have been the end of the book. Right? If you were here, what we see at the very end of of uh, Revelation chapter 11 is that the temple of God in all its beauty and splendor is opened up to the people of God. And the heavens open up with worship. In fact, um, literally with the hallelujah chorus. Some of the lines from the hallelujah chorus come from that particular passage right at the end of Revelation chapter 11. That could be the end. But instead, what we've been saying is, is this is not sort of a timeline, but sort of a spiraling, sort of iterative, sort of repeating kind of a process. And what we're about to do is go back to the beginning. And before we go back to the beginning, I wanted to show you this is kind of, this, you can kind of see this cycle already playing itself out. With the trumpets and the seals, and now there'll be seven visions, and then there'll be seven bowls. You see sort of this, uh, this persecution and there's a conflict, and there's a victory, and then there's celebration. 
So there's a spiraling sort of move that the Lord wants us to know about himself and what he's about until we find ourselves in the city of God at the final chapter, chapter and a half. So instead of ending right there, what we instead see is um, a really similar story. We're going to read a really similar story today, sort of. So let's pray, shall we? And uh, we'll dig in. Father, we thank you for um, the gift of the Word of God. For we know that all flesh is like grass. Everything will, will, um, will waste away, but the word, of the, God, the word of the Lord lasts forever. So Lord, when we come here, we get to touch what is eternal and true and hopeful and beautiful. And Lord, we need that. There's so much about our life that is temporary, short-lived, seemingly meaningless. So we pray that your spirit, as is promised in your word, would come and rest in our minds and our imaginations. Would you open the eyes of our heart, as you say in Ephesians, that we might see you more clearly, find our hearts pricked to uh, a more beautiful obedience, find our minds moved in the direction of, of courage and clarity. I can't do that, but your spirit can. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, it's, uh, it's going to get uh, interesting today. Uh, earlier this week, I, I read this passage to Amy and just said, well, what do you, like, what do you hear? What do you think I should talk about? And uh, this is what she said. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> what are you going to say? So, um, it's probably worth noting that, that's, that there are some sometimes challenges in Scripture. But what I want to say, what we've been seeking to say throughout this reading of the Scriptures, and especially Revelation, is this. You can read the Word of God. It is a core tenet of the way we seek to be a Christian people together. Before the Reformation, reading the scriptures and understanding them was thought to be sort of set aside for a specialized class, specialized group of people. And what we discovered and now celebrate as, uh, as, ref as Reformed people, as people of the Reformation, is that the Word of God is also for you. You can read it. I can read it. We can understand it. But sometimes it takes some work. Reading the Bible is not like reading Instagram. It doesn't just come in sentence or two sentence little chunks. So although we have become increasingly accustomed to reading something for 15 or 20 seconds and then setting it aside if we can't understand it, the scriptures don't yield themselves to that. Sometimes the scriptures actually do take a little bit more than a simple scan. 
They do take a little bit more work, but it is doable. That's the thing I want you to know. The, the things I'm going to share with you today, I'm going to share a couple of things with you, and then we're going to read it aloud, and you're going to have a, a whole new understanding, and I could just be done preaching before I preach. You're like, that sounds good, I know. So here are some handholds uh, for today before I read this passage. As we get into this passage, there are really three primary actors that you're going to sort of see and, and hear about. The, the first is a woman. And for reasons that will become obvious as we read, you're going to be tempted to think of this woman as the Virgin Mary. But we see some extra details that help us understand there's something more happening here than, than just simply and only um, this representing a person. This person is, is clothed with the sun and, and has the moon under her feet and has sort of 12 stars as a, as a crown. The other place where we see those exact same details is in Genesis chapter 37. And in that place, it's a dream of Joseph, you know, the guy with the technicolor dream coat. And he has this dream, and, and the, the moon and the sun and all the stars, they represent his whole family. So what we see when we see this woman, we shouldn't just see it as an individual, but what we should really see it instead is, is as the story of God's people. This is, this is God's people being represented here in Israel. And then we'll see her a little later, and in sort of a continuous way, she's no longer just um, God's people. She also is of Israel. She's also God's people of the Lamb. She has children of her own beyond just Jesus Christ. We also will meet a dragon. And this, uh, we're told that this dragon, a little later on after we, first, uh, after we first meet this dragon, I always say him. That's probably not fair to hymns out there. But the dragon is the accuser, the devil, Satan. And when this book was first written, and for several centuries after, actually, uh, Christian communities were reluctant to depict what Satan looked like. But then over time, there sort of was like this burgeoning art, uh, Christian art, and people started trying to find a way to depict that, and there became dramas, and trying to find a way to depict the dramas based on the clues. They, they took the details of this dragon, and they, they put a person in a red costume, and some horns on his head and a pitchfork and a tail. And it's become kind of a caricature of what Satan really is. And when you read these details of the Satan, I, I want you to set aside the caricature. Because the picture is it's not a literal picture in the sense this is exactly what Satan looks like but it's a literal moral picture. It communicates to us the, the peril, the violence, the strength, the size. This dragon is violent, dangerous, hungry, and real. A caricature we can simply just control and set aside. But the book of Revelation is not intended to do that. 
Instead, using imagery, it's, it's trying to teach us something about the danger and how precarious we are as we face the devil. So we see a woman, we meet a dragon, and uh, we also meet the son of the woman. And we know from really early on that this, uh, this son is the one who's going to be born and hold the iron scepter and rule over all kings. This is the king of kings who's being born. Sort of echoing what we see in Psalm chapter 2, which has always been considered a Messiah psalm. It's about the Messiah. And this one is born to, to be that one. And what's interesting is in just like it's eight or nine words, really, we go from birth to cross to resurrection to ascension, being snatched up into the heavenly places and to the persecution of the church. Merry Christmas. It happens that fast. He rules, as I said, with an iron scepter, as we'll see later. And about halfway through is what we read. You're going to see that um, this son makes an appearance in a song as the lamb. He was victorious. So, a woman, a dragon, and a son walk into a bar. <laughs> There's also a couple of other things I want to point out to you that will help you sort of like, get some hooks on this passage, okay? Um, one of them is you're going to see God active, active in this passage, Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit throughout. You're also going to see Michael the archangel. The first time we ever see Michael the archangel is in the book of Daniel, where he also um, is an angel of extraordinary power and strength and might. Okay? God's people are there. Victorious, courageous, persecuted, picked on. We'll see a couple of references to the wilderness. And it's worth thinking about what the wilderness was, both in the story of Jesus and in the story of the Old Testament. In both of those places, the, um, the wilderness was always, a, was always represented preparation. Even in the midst of all the struggles and trials at the 40 days in the wilderness that Jesus spent and, and the 40 years that the people of God spent in the Exodus, they're being prepared for something, simultaneously being protected for what comes next. That'll be important. And then finally, a number study. If you've been reading along and maybe even getting ahead, um, you probably have seen this phrase, something happened for a time, times, and half a time. It's helpful. You probably have also seen something happen or being promised to happen for, for 42 months. Maybe you've seen something happen for three and a half years or 1,260 days. Seen those days? They're all the same. Okay? They're all roughly three and a half years. And what they seem to represent is the time that the church is in from the first ascension to when he returns. It is the age of the church. So whenever you see that time, times, and half a time, time, times, half a time, or three and a half years, or 42 months, or 1,260 days, 
represents the church's experience and what they'll go through. And what's interesting is almost always, side by side, there seem to be promises of persecution and preservation. There seem to be um, almost simultaneously always the danger of violence and the protection of God over his people. They're both going to happen. All right, I think that's enough. Why don't we read it? Listen to it with, with fresh eyes and fresh insight, okay? A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain, and she was about to give birth. Imagine the posture this woman is in as she's about to give birth. How vulnerable she is. How vulnerable her child will be. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon. Seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. Huge and magnificent and violent, the the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Merry Christmas, Happy Easter, Happy Ascension Day. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser, the Satan of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. The one speaking against you in heaven has been removed from heaven. And they triumphed over him. How? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. That line has haunted me all week. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. 
he is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon um, had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Does that help? Do you see kind of what's going on here? Conflict and persecution, but victory and celebration. Both of those things were called to hold in a kind of attention. To go back up to sort of the 30,000 foot level, this reading contains sort of three visions I want to point out to you very, very quickly. They're, they're connected, but they're not exactly sequential, right? We're not reading a story in the way that we're accustomed to. And the very first vision that we see is a, is a vision of the birth. This child who is, is um, who's born to this woman is, is of cosmic significance. This is the one who will rule it all, who will have the iron scepter and, and rule with grace and mercy and joy and possibility. Now what's interesting about that to me is that's not the story that we often actually tell. The story we tell on Christmas Eve is this story of um, some cute animals kind of walking down the middle of the aisle. Not up it, as it turns out, but down it. Sheep and goats and camels, and it seems very sort of cute and humble. And kind of maybe even a thing we can kind of control, can control or get our mind wrapped around. But what's happening on the other side is something massive, extraordinary, powerful. This child is not sort of just, just a child, but a child of, of cosmic importance. And in just a couple lines, what we see is, is this is the one who's going to come and rule. This is, this is the moment that all history hinges upon, this birth. And the devil is so interested in this moment that he's literally standing there waiting to eat the child. If you've ever been in a birthing room, is there anything more vulnerable or scarier than the vulnerability of that moment? I was reminded between services that th those of us who are ranchers or have ever seen that know that this is still a very real thing now. Cows will, out in the field, have, give birth, and you know what's waiting there, right there? Wolves. Coyotes to snatch the new life as soon as it's given birth. But that's not what happens here. 
just a couple of words, what instead we get is we get the incarnation. We get a life lived of faithfulness. We get the cross. We get the death. We get the resurrection. We get the ascension. And the devil in all of it is frustrated. The devil does not win. Instead, the child is is up in the heavenly places ruling and the woman is protected. She escapes. Even in the midst of all that danger. This next story, uh, this next vision is is really sort of a, a vision of the battle. And it doesn't exactly happen um, in this way that we sort of always want sort of neat categories to sort of just hold their place where they are. But what we see right now is that a defeated dragon is not a vanquished dragon. See, what we have just seen is we've seen the defeat of the devil. His hold and his place and his sense of power, now there is the one who will rule for all time who's now in the world. But this dragon still fights a battle, still seeking to hold on to his place. Instead, he's hurled down. It would be important for us to know that the power of the accuser, the power of the lie, is diminishing. And the hope of the Word of God and the work of the Lamb are on the grow. And the devil is obviously frustrated. A great song is sung out. Praise the Lord, who's done all this through the Lamb and the the power of the testimony of the people of God. Praise the Lord. What's interesting about this moment is it's important for us to see is in this battle, some are going um, to lose their life, but they will never die. Let me say that to you again. Some who are part of the people of God are, are going to lose their life, but they will never die. Because the dragon is defeated, just not vanquished. Now, this can be sometimes be hard, I have to say, for us here in Happy Boulder to get our minds wrapped around. What does this really mean? But when you think about our family of God around the world, this really changes, it takes on a different kind of flavor. Did you know that there are thousands of our brothers and sisters in Christ who have died by persecution in the last year? in the continent of Africa and in the Middle East and in Southeast Asia especially. They're part of this story. And though they have lost their life, they will never die. Can you imagine the promise of that when you face persecution and trouble and trial of many kinds? And then finally, we see this last vision of this sort of this, this 
ongoing hostility. It's sort of a continuation of the battle, but now it's moved from the heavenly realm down here on earth. And the, the dragon is filled with fury and attacks. This woman now, the church, moved to the church, is, um, is given a sort of extraordinary protection. She's given wings to fly. Let's just say what that means is we will be supernaturally protected in a way that we can't orchestrate. We will be taken care of and be equipped in a way that we can't orchestrate. It's sort of like receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this woman is, is given wings and she's, she's protected. How long? A time, times, and half a time. We will be given this kind of equipment for the length of the life of the church until he comes again. Why? Because we also will be attacked for the length of the life of the church until he comes again. And then we see um, that the, the, the dragon sort of spews out this river trying to sweep her up. And some people see that as, as a promise that the culture itself is going to sort of be in this stream and try to um, toss and kill those who get swept up in the, the rest of the Antichrist world that's out there. What happens in a way that we can't orchestrate, in a supernatural way, the Holy Spirit protects His people and the creation even gets involved and opens up and protects us. See, this hostility, it is, it's going to be ongoing. There are those of us who are going to lose our life, but we will never die. And here's the thing that I want you to notice. This is the main theme of this whole chapter. There is victory to be had over the devil. There is victory to be had over the devil. Three times he is foiled. He is foiled when he, when he tries to sort of interrupt God's plan for the Messiah. He is foiled when he tries to keep his place of authority and sense of place of honor in the heavenly places. He is foiled as he tries to seek and destroy God's people. At every turn, even in the midst of our tribulation, friends, the devil will lose. For those who first heard this imagery, they would have, that would, they would have caught that immediately, that promise. What I want you to know, friends, it's just as true for us as it is for them. Why? Because we live in the time, times, and half a time. We're still in that time zone. God is at work. He is victorious. You can live with a different kind of a promise. No matter how sort of small your life might feel, something else is probably actually going on. You, you can trust in the work of God against the powers of evil that are arrayed even against you. I know, we live in like one of the happiest places in the world. You might not feel like the forces of all evil are marshaled against you. But maybe they are in your complacency. Maybe the evil one here has marshaled his forces against you to make you complacent, comfortable, safe. What if he's made your faith bland 
by not challenging it. Friends, you can have victory and life over all of the evil arrayed against you. And it's always bigger than we think. How many of you uh, know who this woman is? That is um, Corey Ten Boom. Some of you might know her story. Some of you, I, I suspect many of you probably now don't. But she was a Dutch woman in uh, World War II. And um, she and her family in their home helped hundreds, maybe thousands of Jews escape out of Nazi Germany. Eventually they were caught. Um, and they were sent to the concentration camps themselves, where most of her family died. She was set free, she later learned, on a clerical error. She was to have been killed instead of set free. As a woman who uh, trusted deeply in Christ, she wrote this book called The Hiding Place in 1971. It became a movie. Maybe, maybe some of you have seen it. And as she wrestled with the meaning of her life and the things that she saw and the loss of her own family and the, the failure of not being able to save all the people they would have liked to have, have saved from that persecution, um, this, this poem meant a lot to her. Before we read it, it turns out it also, for very different reasons, meant a lot to me. When I was a very young believer, I, just, I was confused about what my life meant. What was happening? How could I understand it? I didn't go through the things that she's gone through. I pray I never do. But in multiple times and places, in fact, it's, uh, it now is in her, uh, in her, her museum just outside Amsterdam. Um, she talked about this poem often. It's called the, um, My Life is a Weaving. Here it is. My life is uh, but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors. He weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern that he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. I love that because it gave me a sense of, of purpose. That even the things that are going through might look chaotic from my end, but are glory on another. And here's this is, a, this is in the museum right next to that poem. What I see is mess. And what he sees is a crown. What I see is sort of barely discernible chaos, maybe an outline of something. And what he sees is something magnificent. Now, what's interesting about that to me is I was thinking this, uh, about this this week. It, it also has to do with the scale. 
so much of what we see feels pretty small and insignificant in the plan of all the world. So many of the things that I go through and the, the kinds of uh, tasks and troubles that I think that I have, um, they feel really small and petty, unimportant. Sometimes what that means is I, I give myself permission to just continue to live a, a bland and habitually sinful life. It doesn't really matter. But what we see here in Revelation 12 that this, post, this poem reminds us of is what's happening on the other side is something of exquisite beauty and scale. That even the most smallest, sort of least remarkable, unimportant things actually have a huge part to play in the battle. Have you been thinking like you have a big part? Have you been imagining that what the Lord sees as you live, as you live your life is something that is cosmic and powerful and important? Or does it just seem like thread? See, what Revelation 12 shows us is we're part of a grand, massive, cosmic story. It's more important. It's more vivid. It's more pixels than anything I could imagine if I were just going to picture it by myself. And as we live this story, I don't want you to miss out, friends. This, this story, we've been granted one of the most important things we could ever have to live our part of that story, and that is the gift of the Holy Spirit who fills, empowers, strengthens, prepares, protects you as you seek to live in obedience to Jesus Christ. You are part of this story and you are protected and victorious because of the birth, because of the vanquished devil in the battle. Because of the way he works in our ongoing hostility with the devil. It's way bigger than you think. I want you to know today, friends, is you're part of that story. The Holy Spirit will not leave you alone. You are to become the kind of people, as it says in, in verse 17. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. That's us. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony. A life of obedience and witness. Granted in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Father, we thank you for uh, this word and this reminder. May it strengthen us, nourish us, feed us in the way that it did our brothers and sisters who first heard it so many centuries ago. Lord, as we stand and sing, may we be reminded of the filling of the Holy Spirit. May you remind us that you have descended upon us with the flames of fire, that we are not alone that we matter more than we even imagine, that the Lamb of God has died and paid the price, that even though we lose our life, we will never die. 